0: This is Fiat Fox, a Berkeley news podcast. I'm Ann Bryce. While Fiat Fox is on summer break, we've been revisiting some of our favorite episodes. Today's episode was originally released in April 2019. It's a conversation between UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ and Professor Emerita Carol Clover. Okay, here's the episode. I recently sat down with UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ and her longtime friend and colleague Carol Clover. She's a professor emerita in Scandinavian studies and film studies. They first met at UC Berkeley in 1970. In this conversation, they discuss what it was like for women in the academy 50 years ago and how it's changed. They also talk about what makes a strong leader. And they offer advice to the next generation of Berkeley women. Chancellor Christ, why did you um, want to have a conversation with Professor Clover?
1: Carol and I have known each other for almost as long as I've been at Berkeley, mm-hmm. so it's almost 50 years that we've known yes, each other. Exactly. So and we have careers where there are many parallels, but also some really also different different paths that we took. Mm-hmm. I first came to campus as an assistant professor in 1970 in the English department, and so I guess I met Carol shortly after I came to campus. And with the exception of the time that I spent as president of Smith College from 2002 to 2013, I've been here for my whole career.
2: Well, I first came to campus as an undergraduate in 1960. I got my MA here and then my PhD here. And I, then my first job was at Harvard. So I went there in 1971 and came back as soon as possible <laughs> 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 um, in 1977. But then I had to go back and finish up a year at Harvard. But then I came back to Berkeley for good. When you both first got to Berkeley, what was it like for women on campus? I came as an undergraduate, right, and there were other undergraduate students. What was hard was actually having two children and also being at the age of 25. I was a single mother, so I did um, my undergr- all of my work uh, with children, and that was really hard. But you know, there were other certainly other women students. What there weren't, what I never I never had a female professor. There were no women above that I ever saw above the, the level of students.
1: When I uh, joined the faculty, only 3% of the faculty were women. Uh, I, When I joined the English department, there were 84 faculty in the English department. It was much bigger then than it is now. And there were four women. I was yeah. the fourth woman. And I remember whenever I went to an office, people didn't believe I was a faculty member. Yeah. Or
2: when I went to Harvard. Um, People always thought that I was a secretary you know, in my office. Yeah. They thought people would come and they would just walk in and say, would you please type this for me and have it tomorrow? <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you say?
2: Oh, I don't remember, but I mean, it would be a nice conversation. They were usually apologetic, but I mean, it was not... Right. It was just the way things were. The faculty club at Harvard, uh, the main room, the dining room, was for men only. And the and women, wives and so forth, went and ate in the hallway, which was set up for eating. And even female faculty did not eat in the main dining room. But I remember going in one day for lunch with a friend visiting from Texas, Louisa, and, and it just crossed our minds that we would ask to sit in the main dining room. So we said is there any chance we could sit in the main dining room? And the, the little woman who was, had the menus in her hand and was taking us to our seats said, certainly. <laughs> 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 and she very strongly walked in and put us right in the best table in the room. I believe we integrated the faculty club then without intention, you know, and without any fanfare. But we were, and we were stared at, but nobody gave us any grief about it. So it happened.
1: At, in oh. the faculty club at Berkeley,
2: Yes, uh,
1: women were not allowed, I think it was either 1970 or 1971, when women were allowed in the faculty club. And there are photographs I've seen from the 1960s in which meetings are taking place inside the faculty club of faculty. And women are sitting um, on the windowsills with their, obviously, their feet in the outside leaning in through the windows to hear the meeting. Oh, my. That's great. So that's why there's a women's faculty club at Berkeley, um, women were not allowed in the faculty club right. <laughs> and it, it always shocks me that it was that late that, that, late, that the faculty club became um, uh, co-ed <laughs>
0: right Wait, did you have a sense that that it was certainly unfair or was it also a sense of this is how things are like what what how did you feel at that time
2: well it took a while to uh, register that there were no women um i guess i'm not sure that i thought of it as natural but it it took me anyway a while for it to sink in that really we were especially when i was getting my phd at that moment i realized that this was rare this was odd
1: that's really an interesting question i mean the context i because i did my graduate work at yale I was so used to feeling marginal in a very privileged, wealthy, male environment that when I came to Berkeley, it felt so liberating to me. And the whole culture felt so liberating that I think I wasn't as attentive then Mm -hmm. as I would be now to the way in which um, there was a kind of stratified... Sexism that yes. that that the undergraduate student body, the graduate student body, very good gender balance. Not a sense that um, men and women were treated differently, yeah. but the faculty there were very few women. Um, I always felt like a pioneer, in part because I was I'm of the the generation of the feminist revolution, so. It actually, paradoxically, this is a little bit embarrassing to say, but it wasn't until I came back to Berkeley from being at Smith for 11 years that I realized how male-inflected the culture still was.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Harvard is like Yale. I mean, it's a very male place. It's right. just suggested with my faculty club story, but... Right. Berkeley is so much larger than Harvard and Yale. There's just so it's so much more varied and it's kind of more culturally richer in some sense. So it felt better to me. And by that time, it was I was really back in in the late 70s, and things had changed. Things weren't very much changing. Coming back in the, this was in the 80s with women's movements to to have women's studies program. Mm-hmm to have courses on women, first of all, on women's issues, and to have the Women's Center to start that, and the Beatrice Bain Research Group. We named it that, actually, but we got funding for it, and we had a little, funky little uh, building on campus yeah. for it, <laughs> um, to bring the scholars here as for, you know, a, a research center. And that took a lot of time to create those things. It was a, yeah. a, a lot of work and kind of institutional juggling to, to yeah. make it all happen. Yeah, I so we were
1: both involved in the creation of women's studies. Yes. I I remember when I first got interested in the curricula that concerned women's issues, there was an organization called the Feminist Press that published syllabi of courses Um, that had a feminist focus. And uh, they came in, you know, plain brown paper envelope. And I remember the first of these was 50 courses across the country. So this is uh, a revolution in our time that we've both participated in, that it began as something new and revolutionary. And now it is just part of the texture of the social sciences and the humanities Mm -hmm. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine a department that doesn't see questions about gender as absolutely fundamental to the discipline but they were unusual um, revolutionary
0: in the um, late 60s and early 70s How do you define feminism and do you consider yourself feminists and do you think that what it means has changed I
2: certainly regard myself as a feminist, and long have since the uh, since the '60s. Uh, what it means is simply for me equal rights and equal access. Of course, the the emphasis has changed over time, and it's still changing. And sometimes I feel I'm not. Fully in sync, <laughs> but but basically at heart, absolutely, I would say I'm a feminist. Yeah,
1: I would say the same thing, and I would also define feminism as commitment to um, gender equity. But it's it's become much more complicated, I think, because of um, the term people often use as intersectionality, mm-hmm. um, the really complex relationship of feminism to categories of race and class on the one hand, Mm -hmm. and to sexual orientation. Indeed, even um, uh, gender identity itself Mm has really complicated and changed the movement, if you can even call it a movement. I've often been dismayed that women's students don't like to be called feminists. Yes. Um, don't regard themselves as feminists. Though, if you ask, do you believe in equal rights, uh, gender equity? They say, of course, it's like it's a given. But they associate feminism with a certain kind of emotional register. They think of it as, you know, man-hating, bra-burning, angry um, temperament, which was never my... Temperament. I know it was part of the feminist movement, but I just never, you know, never was what feminism meant to me.
0: What do you think makes a good leader?
1: I think there's not a single characteristic that makes a good leader. I think there are many different ways of being a leader. There are some capacities that I think are really important in being a leader. One is to have a vision of where you're going. Um, I always say to people that I mentor or counsel, think of four or five things that you want to accomplish and figure out how you're going to accomplish them. Uh, You have to be able to share authority as a leader, because in any complex organization you can't do things just by yourself, you depend on other people to try to get them done. Um, You have to be a good listener to be a leader. You have to have moral courage to be a leader. For a job like this, there are certain elements of the job that are very public and presentational, and you have to be comfortable projecting yourself in gatherings of various sorts. And I do think decisiveness is one of the important characteristics of, of being a leader, being willing to make decisions. But I think also being willing to say, admit that you're wrong or to change direction is is, is yeah. important yeah. as... As well, and there was an op-ed that was enormously encouraging to me um, by Frank Bruni in the New York Times, in which he was talking about um, uh, women of a certain age and positions of authority. It was right after Nancy Pelosi had done such oh, a yes, masterful yes, job yes. of handling Trump. And um, he was taking issue with the view that was certainly articulated in relationship to Nancy Pelosi, she's too old for this job, um, by saying age brings certain, um, it brings certain strengths. And um, you see it in you know, judgment and maturity and wealth of experience. And since I'm about to become 75, I took this much to
0: heart where are things now compared to the, the when you started and and what still needs to happen interestingly
1: i think at this moment a lot of people looking at the me too movement might say oh things are worse than they've ever been i actually think women's willingness to come forward and say this happened to me and it was wrong rather than feeling ashamed and hiding it and thinking i must have done something to invite this is a mark of progress but whenever you hear these stories you realize how many worlds there are in which there is still enormous imbalance in power in relationship to uh, to gender I think also lots of the issues have to do with race and class mm-hmm. and wealth inequality, mm-hmm. so in some sense, I think that um you know women in the academy have it, although it's not true that there aren't any problems in the academy in relationship to gender it It's one of the places where there's been a lot of progress.
0: What's your advice for women now, uh, students, maybe undergrad, grad students, and just other women at Berkeley? One of the things that
1: surprised and delighted me when I went to Smith was how the range of female behavior seems so much wider to me than it did at Berkeley. And I kept thinking, "This is crazy." I mean, Berkeley is not exactly a place of shrinking violets. It has a pretty bohemian culture. And yet the fact that this was an all-women's yes. community yes, yes. freed women to be unconventional yes. in their expression of themselves. So women were louder, they were gigglier, they were just... <laughs> and that, that really, for me, was a profound realization. And I guess what I would say is, I have two pieces of advice, is, is to to get in touch with that authentic self, whatever it is. And but the other is, I think it's so important for everybody to find a vocation and to not feel like you have to get it right in your first job after college, but that you should you know if something isn't working for you, stop it and try something else. And so it's so important and I think one of the profoundest gratifications we have is to find work that matters yeah. to you, whatever that work is.
2: Yeah, I think that's extremely good advice. Yeah, do what you want
0: to do. That was a conversation between UC Berkeley Chancellor Carol Christ and Professor Emerita Carol Clover. To see photos and read a transcript, you can visit Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu. This is Fiat Vox. I'm Ann Bryce. You can listen to Fiat Vox on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.